0: to you by lifetree at paying ridiculous attention to jesus.com my name is rick i'm author of spiritual grit the jesus-centered life and i'm editor of the jesus-centered bible just so you guys know you would never know this because it's a sort of behind the scenes thing but you know our our longtime tech recording guru adam who whose actual job has nothing to do with this he's had to like transition out a little bit of this and he has handed over the baton to julia so just so you know, you know we produce this thing in community, and Julia's right there. You, you may never hear her voice, but you sense her spirit. I know you can right now. So say hello to Julia, everyone. And uh, occasionally, I think maybe we'll, we'll also have Adam still involved. You know, we like to have Adam, Adam's voice on the podcast once every 48 episodes. A little bit of Adam goes a long way. So we'll see what it what looks like with Julia. See what kind of possibilities she presents us as we go along. But today we're wrapping up a two-month pursuit on the podcast called The Newness of You. We've been targeting this universal craving that we have as people to become somehow, some way a better version of ourselves. And all of that's really heightened at the start of the year, isn't it? When we think about what are the things I really would like to change about myself. A lot of those things are physical goals, but there, there's other goals too that we have. And we wanted to take advantage of the attention that we have during this time to try to explore this from a different angle. Jesus transforms our lives, and he transformed lives over and over again in Scripture, um, but he He doesn't do it the way that we try to do it in our lives. So we've been exploring all of the ways that Jesus transforms lives, and finding paths for ourselves to that lead to transformation as we follow Jesus. So, by the way, on this journey that we're walking, it helps to have companions, and I wanted to mention three companions you could take with you on the way. They're some of my favorite things that we've ever produced. There's three little books uh, created by my friend Michael Kiefer, and really, the, these three little books came out of, birthed out of this podcast, because three of our most popular podcasts ever had to do with the basics of how you read the Bible, and the basics of how we know God's will, and the basics of prayer. And what it reiterates to me is that there are so many things that we sort of take for granted and assume everybody knows how to do these things, when we've never really slowed down and paid attention to what these things really are and and how these things can practically be integrated into our life. So Michael wrote three little books that are full, I mean just full, of creative ideas. They're, they're a cross between a devotion book and a a book that just sparks possibilities in your life. So the three books are called Help, How Do I Read the Bible?, and Help, How Do I Know God's Will?, and Help, How Do I Pray? We need help with these things, and that's why these three little books are great companions, especially as we're heading into the Easter season. If you know someone in your life who could use a companion on this journey, who's longing to understand the whole narrative of the Bible and, and to get the most out of reading the Bible, Or to get the most out of following god's guidance and will in your life or get the most out of your conversational relationship with jesus these three little books will really help so i highly recommend them either for yourself or if you're thinking about a gift heading into the easter season for someone special in your life these three little books any one of them would be fantastic for that so you can go to group.com to check these out or you can just click on the links we put on our podcast page at com. So now, in this eighth and last episode of the series, we're going to explore an unlikely secret sauce for a transformation that Jesus highlighted and social science research confirms him today. It's the transformational power of gratefulness, so I took a deep dive into gratefulness in the book that I wrote that just came out this, this last year, Spiritual Grit. I spend about, oh, I don't know, a third of a chapter on how gratefulness actually builds core strength in us, and uh, that's just not me talking. Social science researchers have discovered that a sort of a grateful mindset or a grateful lean into life actually produces great strength inside, and so I spend a a good amount of time exploring what gratefulness really is and how it can become sort of habitual in our life. It's a way that we lean in life. It's really a counterintuitive engine for deep transformation in our lives, and that's why I wrote about it in Spiritual Grit. So there was a lot of emerging research around this whole sort of issue of grit. Grit is the perseverance and the passion that you develop that keeps you going in life, that, that helps you to face huge challenges and take advantage of big opportunities and just keep persevering. And some people have greater measures of grit than others, and in the research around this and why some have more than others, they discovered that people who had a habit of gratefulness had a higher degree of grit, And of all entities, the U.S. military was studying this grit research and decided to incorporate many aspects of that research into their boot camp training for novice soldiers. And one of the things they did was they changed some of their training regimen to focus and help new recruits become grateful people in the midst of this horrific experience of boot camp. (laughs) So their mission was to try to create a habit of gratefulness in the boot camp soldiers, and I have a quote from one of the military leaders who was was, uh, in charge of implementing this whole gratefulness initiative into their boot camp training. He said, participants learn how to hunt for the good stuff, to look for and appreciate the ways in which they're fortunate. So they're training them to slow down and pay attention to all of the good things that were around them, because we tend not to pay very good attention. We tend to lock our attention on the challenging things, the painful things, and we forget to pay attention to all of the ways that we've been, I hesitate to say blessed, but all of the ways goodness has surrounded and invaded our life. So, for example, let me give you an example of this. On the way up to work today, I was driving on the highway in the middle of the city on a crowded road with a lot of, you know, tired, determined uh, other workers on the road, and It was stop-and-start traffic, but it was early in the morning because I was headed for a a breakfast meeting here at our headquarters, and the sun was just poking over the horizon to the east. And as I was in the thick of downtown driving, I noticed to the side of the road there was a a large uh, factory of some kind there. I, I hardly ever noticed this place because it's so ugly, but it's sitting right there by the highway, and it has a huge concrete smokestack coming up out of the side of it, and I noticed that this sunlight that was just poking over the horizon had colored the side of this concrete smokestack with this very soft, warm, orange hue, and it made, this is going to sound funny, but it made that smokestack beautiful. I couldn't stop staring at it because it was stop and go. I could stop and look at this thing, and I was just arrested, by the beauty of this concrete smokestack when it had this hue of orange spilling onto it. It was so beautiful that I, I kind of gulped when I looked at it. And then I turned to look at downtown, the skyscrapers of Denver, and I noticed that the sun just rising over that horizon was filtering through sort of this haze that hung over downtown. And so all of downtown was colored with this very soft orange Hue. I thought, what does this look like to me? Because it kind of it pierced me to to look at downtown bathed in this orange hue this way. And I thought, what does this remind me of? And it, it reminded me of Wakanda in Black Panther, that kind of almost fantasy look that sunshine had given downtown Denver this, this sort of fantastical aura, and it was beautiful. A little bit later, I was when I got outside of Denver and I'm driving, there's a kind of a big kind of sort of barren area between Denver and Loveland, uh, where our headquarters is, and it's a lot of farmland and, and just plains. And I'm driving along, and there was a little housing development to the side of me, and it, they had built a, a large berm to separate the housing development from the highway, and they had planted all these trees along the berm. And because it was a very cold morning and because we had this kind of low, foggish haze, hanging over northern Colorado, um, it had turned to frost on all these trees, and I just looked at this line of trees, like a half a mile of trees, and they were all just frosted with this kind of distinctiveness, and they stood out against the background of the evergreens that they were planted in front of. And again, there's something about that scene that just pierced me, and I just felt grateful. And if I hadn't been awake and alert to my surroundings, and paying attention to the beauty around me, and instead had just been looking through my front windshield all the time and thinking about the challenges that I would have at work today, or thinking about the other drivers on the road, and didn't allow myself to be curious and then to stop and taste and see the goodness around me, I wouldn't have experienced these things, and I wouldn't have responded with gratefulness, which is what I did. I just breathed a prayer of thanks. To Jesus as I saw these things. I felt grateful for the intrusion of beauty into my everyday life, but those things I could have easily overlooked if I hadn't been paying attention. So a grateful mindset, the first thing it does is it pays attention. It takes sort of an inventory of the, our relationships, our advantages, our blessings, the provisions that in our life that we're already enjoying, but have taken for granted, or even overlooked. Uh, we don't even see them because something else is right in front of our face, we just miss them. So some examples of this, uh, maybe these relate to you. These these are things that fit the category for me, the things that I overlook, or because something else is right in front of my face. So I've mentioned before on the podcast, my wife has a, um, a lung disease uh, called sarcoid. And she was diagnosed almost 15 years ago. and. Because of this lung disease, it's an immune disorder. and so she's very she keeps herself very fit and she does all kinds of things to stave off the effects of this lung disease. But she needs quite a lot of expensive health care on an ongoing basis because this is a chronic condition. And so uh, over the course of the last 15 years, this has been a part of our life, and we have lived sort of under the shadow of the financial challenges that come with a significant chronic, health concern. Those of you who have something like this in your life know exactly what I'm talking about. It never goes away. Um, it's always hanging there, and it can be the kind of thing that just settles like a fog <laughs> over your life. You, you can't see in front of you very well, and so therefore it's easy to forget the, the ways that Jesus has provided. So this uh, treatment that my wife is getting has stopped the advance of this disease. And many, many times over the course of these 15 years, her specialist, who's brilliant, who is the one who tried this experimental procedure with her and it worked, he has many times over, out of the just the goodness of his heart, written off doctor bills for us and done things for free for us and has cared for us even financially uh, through this, even to the extent that uh, we had to take our youngest daughter, who's he is not on insurance for my youngest daughter. We took her to him anyway. We're prepared to pay for her care out of our pocket because she needed his expertise, and they wrote off her bill. It was like an $800 bill, and they just wrote it off. Well, it would be easy for us to not stop and pause and be grateful for the ways in which God provides, because we could say inside, but he hasn't provided for all of our need, he's only provided for part of our need. But a grateful mindset, a grateful default setting, notices every little thing, every little act of goodness, every little act of beauty, and we turn our attention back to Jesus and say, thank you. Thank you for that. I was driving that youngest daughter, Emma, back down from college, where she had been visiting her older sister, and I was driving her down after work one night, and um, I was, we were having a great conversation in the car. It was one of those nights where it was kind of stop and go on the highway, where you're going 65, 70 miles an hour, and then all of a sudden the traffic just stops in front of you. And it was uh, one of those nights where it had been kind of like that. And we were uh, driving along, having this great conversation, and I was in the fast lane, and all of a sudden the, the line of cars in front of me – stopped and they're all you see that bright red lights of them all stopping quickly. And I reacted just a little bit late to those lights. And so it was that moment where you wonder, can I stop in time before I smush into the car in front of me? And so I made a, a split second decision to change lanes over to the right hand lane. And it was it was a split second decision. And it turned out it was smart that I did that. But I had very little time to even check to see if somebody was in that other lane. I just kind of glanced and made the decision. And afterwards, I thought, oh, that could have been really bad. And I just found myself, all that day, the weeks after, even today, just looking back on that decision and what could have happened, and I just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that that didn't happen, that 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 split-second decision didn't lead to something terrible. Thank you, Jesus, for... Were looking out for us that night. And there was a girl in our small group this week who on her way to small group, she's relatively new to our group. She works at a place, a bakery that makes sort of gourmet cupcakes. And she had told us in advance, I'm going to bring a bunch of gourmet cupcakes tonight. So she's on her way to her place. She's a little bit late because she had to pick all these cupcakes up and she rear-ins someone. And she's like a junior in high school. So you're a parent, you think, oh no, there go our insurance rates. And she rear-ends someone on her way to small group. And, you know, that kind of shook her up when she arrived, and she was talking about it in and out through the night. And after small group was over, my wife was talking to her, and one of the things my wife said and, and as they were talking, she asked her, well, what happened with the person that you hit? And this girl said, oh, that person couldn't have been nicer they understood I was a teenager. They were so kind. They were not angry with me. We quickly exchanged information. They knew that I was on my way to somewhere. They didn't stop me from going. And my wife broke in and said, wow, that could have been a lot worse. And the girl, it dawned on her right away. Yeah, that was a gift that this person didn't make it worse by behaving badly after I ran into him. So that's a moment where you stop and you're grateful for... Even in the midst of the darkness, something light happened. And then the last thing I was thinking about is my daughter Lucy was coming home from college this last weekend, and there had been a pretty significant snowstorm the night before, and she was driving down the highway, and, you know, after a snowstorm, there's slush and all kinds of stuff on the road, and it gets kicked up on your windshield, and you don't really really realize how important those windshield wipers are until you're driving in kind of a muck like that, and she uh, called me. And told me that she had had to stop by the side of the road because her windshield wipers stopped working and she could not get them to start working again. And she couldn't see because of all the stuff on her windshield. And so I jumped in the car and drove up to meet her. And she found a mechanic up there and to, to take a look at what, what had gone with her windshield wipers. And it was a pain, you know, she, it was going to make her late for um, she was coming home to help celebrate my youngest daughter's birthday. And it's going to make us late because we both had to deal with this. And you know she was like first thinking ah oh, i can't believe this is happening but then she realized if that had happened the night before when she originally intended to come then she would have been stuck in the dark trying to do this and trying to find a place and if it had happened you know uh, 10 miles sooner she would have been in the middle of nowhere not close at all to a, a mechanic there were little graces in the midst of the darkness even though this was a pain there were things to be grateful for in the midst of that darkness. And so gratefulness, in the end, is sort of the foundational strengthening that we need in life. It, it fuels that strengthening, it reminds us that the challenges in front of us pale in comparison to the momentum that is behind us, that is pushing us. Gratefulness, in the end, is an act of faith. It's a faith habit that can transform us. It's a way of leaning into a faith response that looks past the darkness to appreciate the light. By the way, it's not a soft sort of teddy bear aspect of our life with Jesus. It's actually more like a sword in our hand. We are people of the light, that's how Jesus calls us, we're people of light and we're surrounded and immersed in darkness, and we raise a sword in the midst of darkness when we adopt a grateful mindset. I want you to listen to an example of what this what this is like i'm gonna play you now my favorite song from my favorite christian album of all time it's by andrew peterson and the album is called love and thunder and my favorite song off of that album is a work of art it's a beautiful searing penetrating song called after the last tear falls so i'm going to play it now and i want you to think about this what it feels like to be grateful in the midst of darkness because that's what this song is about. So let's just bathe in this song for uh, it's about a 5 minute song. So this will be a sort of a devotional moment for you. If you're in a place where you can close your eyes, close your eyes and listen to this. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. <laughs> just but just savor the lyrics and the music and how they work together to create a sort of light in the midst of darkness. So let's listen to Andrew Peterson after the last tear falls
1: after the last tear falls after the last secret told after the last bullet tears through flesh and bone after the last Child stars, and the last girl walks the boulevard. After the last year that's just too hard, there is love, 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 love. There is love, 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 love. There is love. After the last disgrace. After the last lie to save some face After the last brutal jab from a poisoned tongue After the last dirty politician After the last meal down at the mission After the last lonely night in prison there is love, 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 love. There is love, 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 love. There is love. And in the end, the end is oceans and oceans of love and love again. We'll see how the tears that have fallen were caught in the bones of the giver of of all and we look back on these tears as old tales cause after the last plan fails after the last siren wails after the last young husband sails off to join the war after the last This marriage is over. After the last young girl's innocence is stolen. After the last years of silence that won't let a heart.
0: All right. So in the slipstream of this beautiful song, let's talk a little bit about what he was doing in this song. He's not diminishing the darkness or the pain or the way life can really clobber us sometimes. He's sort of planting his flag in the ground and proclaiming sort of like, a, I guess, like a a rebel behind enemy lines, that gratefulness for the great love we've been given turns ugly into beauty. He's planting his flag in the ground with a his chin jutted out and his eyes up and his heart full of passion, and he's saying, I believe in the one who turns ugly into beauty. I believe in the one who turns ugly into beauty. Gratefulness, in the end, redirects our gaze from the darkness in front of us to the overwhelming, impossible, tender sort of savage beauty of Jesus. That's why this song penetrates me so much, is he's not shying away from the darkness, but he is certainly redirecting his gaze through a grateful spirit onto the beauty of Jesus. And this is what propels our perseverance in the midst of the darkness, that turning of the gaze to the beauty of Jesus and allowing ourselves to feel grateful so grateful for his beauty, is what propels us through the pain and the difficulty and the challenge that we face in life. All right, let's take a deeper dive into an encounter Jesus had with 10 desperate men. Now, we find this encounter in Luke 17. It's actually Luke 17, 11 through 19, so if you're not driving and you want to flip open your Jesus-centered Bible to Luke 17, 11 through 19, we're going to take a closer look at Jesus's encounter with ten lepers, and just so you know, this encounter takes place between while Jesus is on the road from Galilee to Jerusalem, and uh, in order to go the most direct route from Galilee to Jerusalem, you you have to cross through Samaria, and a lot of Jews didn't do that um, because they hated the Samaritans. <laughs> they they didn't want anything to do with them. They didn't even want to cross over their territory. So this is a little bit of a a dicey journey. Uh, It is the most direct route, it's the quickest way to get to Jerusalem, but as Jesus is crossing over from Galilee into Samaria, he enters a border village uh, that's in the wilderness, and that's where he encounters these ten lepers. And so uh, what's interesting is that the Jews and the Samaritans avoided each other out of just habit, They just didn't want anything to do with each other. That's important context for understanding this encounter that Jesus has with these ten lepers, because normally speaking, the two groups would have nothing to do with each other. It was really, uh, there, there was a lot of hatred and tension built into the culture around this. So let's read about this encounter in Luke chapter 17, starting with verse 11. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us! Well, Jesus looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now, i got to stop here for a second. What Jesus is asking them to do is what you do after you've been healed— of leprosy, you're supposed to go show yourself to the priest, and the priest will confirm that you've been healed of leprosy, and you can rejoin the community now. Because if you have leprosy, you're ostracized and kept apart from the rest of the community. In fact, if you were walking somewhere and you had leprosy and you saw other people, you had to cry out that you were a leper in advance so that they could give you a wide berth. Nobody wanted to get near you. And so when Jesus said after they asked him, have mercy on us, and he said, go show yourselves to the priests, he was basically saying, go show yourself to the priests because you've been healed. But they had to decide whether they were going to turn around and go to the priests. So it says, and as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So as they were going, not before, but when they made the decision to turn while they still apparently had leprosy, and walk toward where they needed to go to tell the priests they were healed. On the way, they were healed of their leprosy. At verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, "'Praise God!' And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, "'Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. What an extraordinary encounter this is. And Jesus was all the time meeting people who were desperately in need of healing for something. This is an unusual story because he meets 10 people, 10 men, who were sectioned off from the rest of society and are desperate to be to be healed and jesus tells them to go visit the priests which is the only is what you do when you've been healed and they go to do that before they've actually been healed but only one of them comes back from that to express his gratefulness to jesus so the question is what are all the possible reasons why only one person returns to thank jesus let's slow down and pay attention get kind of inside the hearts and minds of these ten men who had this incurable disease that had wrecked their lives? What can we surmise that is going on inside of them, and what can we guess about why this one person, and only one person, returns to express his gratefulness to Jesus? So I think one aspect that uh, is true of all human beings is that we're desperate right up until the moment we're not, if we have something challenging going on in our life. I mean, whether it's a financial challenge or a health challenge, you know, you're desperate to know whether that lump on the side of your neck is just, you know, a lymph node that's infected or if it's cancer. And especially if it feels ominous to you, you can't stop thinking about it, right? And you might even go online to uh, learn as much as you can to see if you can self-diagnose whether this is something serious or not. And you're desperate to know what the truth about that little bump on your neck is, right up until the moment the doctor gives you the news that, no, it's, it's not cancer, and your desperation just drains out of you. That desperation makes you very attentive to whoever, whoever can help you with it, and as soon as you find out the good news, it's just human nature to not be as desperate anymore. So you're no longer propelled by that momentum of desperation. So that's probably one reason why nine out of the ten of them didn't think to turn back and thank Jesus, because once they are cured, they're distracted away from the one who cured him. So really, I guess another way of saying that is once we get what we want, we quickly revert to self-sufficiency. It's amazing how quickly we revert to that. We just almost forget how desperate we felt only moments before. So, Or we could simply forget, you know, you're so caught up in what's happened to you that you forget to thank the one who is responsible for it, that's also human nature. Or we're too afraid of the social conventions that were at work here, the whole idea that lepers were not uh, supposed to be around anyone, they're not, not supposed to approach anyone, and they're in Samaria, so there's other cultural restrictions that I've already mentioned there. So because you're used to those social conventions and you're afraid of them, you don't go back and engage this Jewish rabbi, and vulnerably tell them how, how grateful you are, because you don't want to do what seems to be wrong in the culture. And maybe you've had this experience before, too, that somebody does something very kind for you, but because of social conventions, you feel restrained in telling them how much that really meant to you. You, you feel embarrassed to do it, so that could be part of this as well. And just the, the thing that I hinted at there, to be grateful in the way this man was grateful requires vulnerability. He, he not only came back to thank Jesus, he, he kind of kneels before him and worships him and, and reflects back to Jesus the beauty he experienced in his release from this captivity from leprosy. All of that is very vulnerable. It takes vulnerability to be grateful, and people who refuse to be vulnerable are rarely grateful. It takes a kind of openness of heart and spirit to thank Jesus and thank others for the goodness that you taste in them. So it could be that nine of these ten men simply were too self-conscious to be vulnerable and come back and, and praise him. So there's some possibilities as to why only one comes back, and we tend to think about this story and just say, well, those nine people are just ungrateful. But actually, the closer answer is more likely that they're simply human, and these human things sometimes get in the way of us taking the risk and the vulnerability to to be grateful in the midst of our freedom. So another question is from this story is Jesus associated this if you if you notice this Jesus associated this man's gratefulness with great faith. Why did Jesus translate this man's actions into a sign of his great faith? Well, faith isn't just about believing Jesus can and will come through for us. We often translate faith to mean, do I believe that Jesus can come through for me and do what I'm hoping he can do? Do I believe in it? But faith truly is is much different than that. It's believing in the beauty and goodness of the one that you're coming to with your need. It's not just believing in his ability, it's a believing in his nature, in his acknowledging his beauty. So we'll go back again to a, one of my favorite examples of this, the, the centurion who asks Jesus to heal his servant and tells him he, he doesn't need to come to his house because he's not worthy for Jesus to come to his house, just say the word of my servant will be healed. Well, Jesus says, whoa, what incredible faith. What is the faith in? It's faith in the person of Jesus, his authority and who he really is it's not simply faith in what Jesus can do, it's faith in the person of Jesus. It's belief in him, and so faith is intimately tied to how we taste and experience the goodness and beauty of Jesus. So when we believe in the beauty and goodness of Jesus, that translates into faith, meaning that we believe he's going to do the things that he does because of his beauty. So this man treats Jesus— As if he is a wonder. And of course, Jesus is a wonder. And when we pause to recognize the overarching beauty of Jesus in the midst of our darkness, and in the midst of even of how he's come through to us, we don't take him for granted. We stop to thank him for not just what he's doing in our life, but from where that doing emanates. From the heart that produced that in the first place. So we slow down and stop and savor the one who's in front of us, the one who has done this beautiful thing. So how does this translate into sort of everyday life for us? What does a grateful lean look like in everyday life? I took a whack at this when I was writing Spiritual Grit. I tried to reflect On my own life and what this looks like, but also the possibilities that this could look like for us. So a grateful attitude towards the sort of the big things in our life, our health, the provision in our life, our relationships. You know, honestly, the gratefulness for these things is like picking low-hanging fruit. These are the obvious things most people are conscious enough about to be grateful for if we have these things. But it's also important to recognize and remind ourselves of things that are small and go unnoticed. The more that we notice the small things in our life and we're paying attention to, like, the concrete smokestacks of the world or the frosted trees of the world, the more we develop a sort of a a rhythm of breathing in our life that is grateful. We are grateful over and over again. We breathe gratefulness. This comes in paying attention to the small things. The little bursts of light in the midst of darkness. We will experience transformation if we expand our gratefulness to the smaller things in life. So let me give you some examples, and maybe some will pop into your head as I'm giving you some of these examples, but I love comics, for instance. I have a, a daily calendar that's, from, that's full of New Yorker cartoons at my office here, and at home I have a daily calendar of cartoons from the comic strip Get Fuzzy uh, that I really love. And so I kind of, and I, I love to read the comics in the newspaper, and I love the Sunday comics in particular, um, and I love I, I love people who are funny. So when when you laugh or smile because of something someone has said, or they've told a good joke, do you pause and just thank Jesus for creating humor? Or are you grateful when someone offers you a kind word or even a, maybe a cashier at the grocery store has a positive attitude, do you pause just silently inside to say thank you or outwardly say thank you to that cashier for having a positive attitude? It can make all the difference in your day how people interact with you, especially when you're expecting to be not noticed and you're noticed. Do you pause to say thank you to that cashier and thank you to Jesus for that little gift in the midst of your day? Or what about a burst of sunshine on a cloudy day? Do you notice how that impacts you when you see that sudden burst of sun when it's been cloudy? And do you breathe gratefulness, thankfulness for that? Or what happens uh, when a favorite song comes on? I have a kind of a burst of energy when I hear one of my favorite songs come on. The radio if I'm listening to it, or when it comes on a, a CD that I'm playing at home. Do you have a grateful posture when you hear that favorite song come on and, and thank Jesus for the gift of music? Or uh, What happens uh, when a friend offers to pray for you out of the blue? Don't be a, a nine leper person, be a one leper person at that point. And that person offers to pray for you. Be vulnerable in your gratefulness. Thank the person for caring enough to stop and pray. It can be easy to forget something that actually matters quite a bit. Or what about the smell of trees and bushes and flowers on a on a summer evening? Do you ever stop when you're walking and just drink in the smell, whatever wherever it is you are? Or maybe if you're if you're in the city, you pass by a bakery and you drink in the smell of baking bread and you just stop for a moment and drink it in. And thank Jesus for the beauty of that smell, or the smell of the air after a good rainstorm, or the smell of fresh laundered sheets on your bed, or so many things a whiff of cologne or perfume that sort of transports you for a moment or reminds you of your spouse. These are things, smells can all trigger light in the midst of our darkness, beauty in the midst of our ugly. So, do we stop and appreciate and Express our gratefulness for these things? What about a friend at work who just stops by to see how you're doing? Are we grateful for the micro sacrifice that they took to come and express their care and love for you? What about that first taste of your favorite home cooked meal? Do you stop and honor uh, the person who made that meal with your gratefulness? Do you say more than this tastes good? wow, you're an artist in the kitchen. This is so good. I often say to my wife, um, because she's an incredible cook, I often say to her, what you make in our home is better than I ever get in any restaurant, and it's just so much healthier and, and so much better. And you can just see her eyes light up when I say this. It's an act of grateful honoring to stop, pay attention, and speak out what you're experiencing like that. So what happens when a light turns from red to green when you're running late? Do you, under your breath, say, thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus? Or what about uh, that thing that you bought online that when you got it home and tried it on, it actually looked better on you than you thought it would? (laughs) Do you ever stop and say, thank you, Jesus? That was unexpected. That's a delight. What about a letter—this happens frequently for me, because we sponsor a child through Compassion, and another one through World Vision—what happens when you get a letter of gratitude from that child that you're sponsoring? Do you stop and thank Jesus for the privilege of being involved in that child's life in a significant way? Or, we, I've said before on the podcast, we like to have a lot of candlelight in our house. We have fairly warm, low lighting in our home, mostly because— that's what I really love. <laughs> but do you ever stop to just breathe a prayer of gratefulness for the beauty of the light, the, the candlelight, and how it makes you feel? So yeah, I could go on and on. Yeah, uh, grateful for things shipped in bubble wrap. <laughs> Are you ever grateful for the surprise of that uh, opening that thing that's wrapped in bubble wrap, or the sound of wind rustling through the leaves? Do you ever stop and just express your gratefulness for the sound that you hear around you. These things could go on and on and I've I've mentioned the sort of the way in which we can respond to these intrusions of light into our darkness. It's very simple. I do this all the time. I just say silently or under my breath or sometimes out loud, "Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus." That's all I do. I just mark the moment by doing what the one leper did. I turn, I face him, and I say, thank you, Jesus. And Jesus said, what this man did was honor the glory of God. And what he's really saying is, what this man did is honor the beauty of who I am. Why is only one doing this? (laughs) When you honor the beauty of who Jesus is, you're giving him the gift of worship Gratefulness then becomes our every moment, every day act of worship. It's not worship that we, where we go to church and sing along with a band. It's our moment to moment worship where we say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's all it is. Murmured under our breath or proclaimed to the heavens, either way, we're just simply like children allowing ourselves to thank Him. I love that scene in The Sound of Music where, um, all of the children are frightened by the thunderstorm, and they end, all end up in Maria's bedroom. And they're all frightened by the the sound of it. The, the thunderstorm is very close. The lightning is everywhere. The kids are hiding under the covers. And instead of trying to talk them out of their fear, what does Maria von Trapp do? Well, she decides to sing a song called uh, A Few of My Favorite Things. And she invites the kids... To remember the things that they're grateful for in life. And she starts the brainstormed list, but they add to it. And by the end of that song, they're no longer afraid. Not because they've been talked out of their fear, not because Maria explained, the thunderstorm can't hurt you, that sound is is just the thunder, it's not going to hurt you. Instead, she shifted their attention from the storm in their life onto the things that they could feel grateful for. And that shift of attention changed everything. That song was not intended only to calm their fears, but also to strengthen their courage in the midst of that fear. And their courage is strengthened when they pay attention to the little things in life that they're grateful for. Gratefulness transforms those scared little children into delighted, risk-taking, courageous kids. And that's really the revelation of their true nature. And guess what? We're all those little kids. Those kids running into the room in the midst of the thunderstorm are all us, too. Whatever the thunderstorm in your life is that is making you want to go bury yourself under the covers and find protection somehow from it, um, what will get you out from under those covers, get you out of your fear, is if you will remember what you're grateful for and remember who is responsible those things that you're grateful for and say so. Have a habit of saying so in your life. Well, gang, thanks for listening. Remember, you can find out more information, but in further detail on paying ridiculous attention to Jesus.com. You can go and find links to everything we've talked about today, including those three books that I mentioned at the beginning that I think would be a tremendous help for either you or someone you love as we head into the Easter season. Those three books, just again, as a reiteration, are Help How Do I Read the Bible and Help. How do I know God's will and help? How do I pray? All three, born out of three podcasts that we've done in past years that were highly listened to, and so we decided to explore further, a creative ways for these kind of central Christian practices in our life to be energized by experiences instead of simply reading about these things, that these books are full of little experiments you can try that will help you in each of these three areas. So again, you can go to group.com and check them out, or just click on the links on our podcast page. This is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from Lifetree, and you could subscribe to it on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk again next time.